Um, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? You good? Awesome. Hey, uh, my name's Steve. I'm one of the pastors here, so if we've never met, um, hi. It's really good to meet you both in the building and online. Super excited you're here. Thank you all. Appreciate that. Um, this is week two of a series um, that is going to go for a while, and what's fascinating about this series is that um, it's written by a guy that walked and talked with Jesus. Imagine the stories that don't make the scriptures that they would talk about. Um, it just blows my mind. Uh, I don't know what your life was like when you grew up, but I grew up hearing a lot of stories. And I heard stories from my parents of what it was like when they were kids. How many of you, you've heard those stories? Your parents, if they're like mine, they would always tell it as if it was the first time you'd heard the story. And you're like, I know this one, right? And you get to the punchline and you're like, ha ha. It was funny five years ago, but yeah, it's the very first time. Well, one of the stories that my dad always told was a a story about a favorite book of his. And so that just gives you a peek into how exciting my home life was. Um, my, My dad used to always joke. He said, I love books. Books are like friends to me. And I went, I don't, I think you and I are different, dad, but I love you. But he'd tell the story of where um, everyone was going around. He was a little guy. Everyone was going around, and the teacher asked, what's your favorite book? And it came to him. And you would think, like, you know, like superhero characters and all of that. But my dad said, the emperor's new clothes. Anyone ever heard of this story? Yeah. It's the children's book. It's one of my dad's favorite stories. So, again, a peek into what it was like for me growing up. If you don't know what it is, um, you need to read it. It's a fascinating tale. It is a fairy tale for kiddos, but the truth is really profound. So I'm going to summarize very briefly what the book is. So there's this emperor, and he loves really nice things, fine clothing, fine everything. And so two swindlers come up to him, and they have a plot. So what they do, they've got this evil plan, and they say, okay, emperor, here's the deal. We're going to make you the most, the, the best, the finest, the most exquisite, miraculous, and magical garments. And here's the deal. You've never seen anything like this. These are amazing. They're special threads, special everything. And they're, oh, okay, I'm intrigued. And so they say, here's the deal. Here's how you know it's super magical. Is that when people claim that they can't see it, what that actually does is it reveals how low their IQ is. Only the smart people, only the wise, the well-educated, the esteemed, the elite can see how beautiful these clothing, these garments are. And the people that can't see it, and they claim that there's nothing there, well, they're just dumb. They're stupid. They're ignorant people. They can't see it. So the emperor, the whole time, like, oh, well, we got to do this. So boom, those two, the swindlers, they get to work. They start making things. And one by one, all the emperor's workers and everything, they come together and they keep checking on all the articles of clothing that are being made, and they don't see anything. And there's a little murmur, but no one's really showing their cards or saying anything. And and to the point, the emperor goes and looks at it, and they go, oh, what do you think? How beautiful. Oh, it looks fabulous and miraculous. Wow, it's incredible. He can't see anything either. Gets to the point where he cuts a big check, sends it to the two swindlers, and he puts on the special clothing, the magical clothing, that again reveals people's IQ or ignorance. To the point where he goes and throws a massive parade in his new clothes. He's walking down in these new clothes that are, sure enough, invisible, and he's feeling proud. And none of his officials, none of his workers, no one says anything. In fact, the crowd doesn't even say anything. And he's marching around in these invisible clothes, a.k.a. he is naked in front of everybody, just marching around. And a little child in the crowd goes, the emperor has no clothes on. 
And here's what is fascinating about this children's story. You would think the emperor would stop and address the situation. Like, "Uh uh-oh, I've been duped. I've been fooled. Nope. Keeps on marching down. He just thinks it's the ignorance of the people that's going to reinforce how special I am. Now, here's why I tell you this story and why I think you ought to go out and read it. Um, It has everything to do with the text that we're going to read today. See, Christians, us, we are the emperor. The Bible passage we're about to look at is the child in the crowd. And the crowd represents, well, the crowd of humanity. And so in this moment, we're going to read a text, and it is challenging. I'm telling you, I wish I could just give this one to Kurt. In fact, I think this is why he gave it to me. So here we go. But we're going to read it. And if we have ears to hear, my prayer and hope would be that we would hear it, that we would stop, and we would address it before moving on. While the crowd just kind of looks and points and even snickers. So we're in week two, and I'm telling you, it's going to be, it's going to be a journey. So are, are you ready? Should you, you want to buckle up, go on the roller coaster? We can do this. I, I know we can. A little context. Um, John is writing this letter to a church that is, is broken. It's split. It's fractured. And some of the issues in the letter that he addresses is the fact that there is this new faith community that is starting, a brand new church that has broken off from the original one to start their own thing. And John's sitting here going, no, 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 no. You guys are fighting. You're divided. You're split on all these things that are not true. See, this new church has a bunch of false beliefs. Really, they're trying to answer the question of what is a true Christian versus a fake Christian? Now, if you were to ask that for us today, the modern-day question would simply be, what makes a Christian a Christian? How do you know the right ones from the posers, the fake ones, the ones that are just pretending? And so I'll give you a list of a couple things that John is going to address. We've already read some of them in the first week. We'll read the rest of them today. But I'll give you five of them real quick. They denied the authority of Jesus' commands, saying that Jesus was just human. Those aren't God's commands. They're just a human's commands. Number two, they denied their sinfulness, the fact that they were, in fact, sinful and continued to sin. Number three, they denied salvation through the work of Jesus on the cross. Number four, they denied the absolute command to love one another. And then finally, they denied, the righteous, they, they denied righteous living as a requirement for following Jesus. Now, would you agree those are two or those are five, like, that's a big deal. All of those things, like those are significant. Those are hallmarks of what it means to be a Christian. That, that is crucial. And this whole new community just went, eh, we're good. We're going to go do our own thing. And so John says, no, 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 oh man, we have to address these issues. And as we go throughout this journey in the book of 1 John, you're going to find two themes throughout every single sermon. The first one is this, that Jesus was a real person. He was the child of God, walked, talked. Death, resurrection on the cross. This is historical. This isn't a fairy tale like the emperor's new clothes. This really happened. And the second one you're going to find in 1 John is that there needs to be a connection between what we profess about Jesus and how we live our lives. He's going to say, listen, listen, we need to walk in the light as God is in the light. It makes no sense for us to walk in darkness when we claim that we know the light. And you'll see this throughout every chapter, throughout every passage. And again, you're going to see this this morning. So with that as kind of the context, let's jump in to our wonderful roller coaster of a sermon this morning. Here we go. First John chapter one, verse eight. And again, we're addressing that question. What makes a Christian a Christian? So here we go. First John chapter chapter one, verse eight. 
He writes this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in... Right? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth isn't in us. So, number one in your notes, a Christian knows that they sin. How do you know if you're a Christian? You are painfully aware of the sin in your life. That's how you know. Now, here's what's fascinating about sin. This word has been... um, it has been used and abused. It is a loaded term. There are uh, a ton of connotations attached to this. The emotional baggage that this word encapsulates is, quite frankly, it, it, it is astounding. And many of us, if we had time, we could go around and share our story or our experience when we came to, one, realize that we, in fact, had sin, and number two, someone pointed it out in us. Some of those stories would be positive, some of them not so positive, but we all have this experience with it. And I I simply want to give you a definition. See, the word sin, this is an archery term. It means missing the mark. That's what it is. Now, I understand why it's heavy and there's all this um, weight behind it. That's because we don't use it in regards to archery. We use this in regards to God's standard. So it should be weightier, right? But nonetheless, it does mean miss the mark. So let, we're going to illustrate this real quick. Um, we'll, we'll put a target on the screen. By the way, that's the mark. That's the mark right here. Now, this is Lyndon. I'm going to pull something out of my backpack. This is a Nerf lobber of... of uh, it was not projectile. You can't say it. So everyone calm down. Security has been warned. Um... It, it is orange, or yellow and orange, right there, so we're all clear? Okay, I've asked my friend Dora, for the sake of, of illustration, um, it's cocked and loaded, so stay right there, right where you are. Here's what you're going to do. Not me, but you are going to aim and try and hit the target. Give it, give it one more. We'll give you one more. Nice shot, by the way. Give it up for everyone. Nicely done. All right, just so we're all, we're all safe. Everyone calm down. We can just relax. We're going to put that bad boy away before someone loses an eye. Now, here's what's so interesting about sin. I say interesting, but it, it's rather sad, actually. Um, what we do, clearly she missed the mark. I mean, not even close, right? And maybe the first one, but it was, it was down here, you know? But here's what we do in the Christian world. See, this side would go over here, and they'd be, they'd be pointing at her going, did you see what she did? Did you see how far away she was? She totally missed the mark. Yeah. Wasn't even close. I mean, good try. Did, did you see it? Oh, you didn't see it. Let me, I'm going to go tell you what she did. So if I were to pass the nurse gun to this side, and some poor soul over here were to go and shoot and miss the mark, what would this side do? See how that person missed the mark over here? Wasn't even close. Do you see how terrible it is? We gave them three shots. They didn't even hit the TV. Did you hear? Oh, you haven't heard. Well, we need to pray about it. So let me tell you. So we go around and we tell them how badly they missed the mark. And then this guy goes, well, that's rude. You missed the mark too. too." Yeah, but I was closer. You go, no, you don't understand. But I had to go from over here. That was my experience and my upbringing. Well, I had to shoot from this side. Well, the wind was a little bit different. So, you know, everything. Do you get where I'm going with this? And the amount of friendly fire the church has exchanged with one another is damaging. She knows if she hit the mark or not. It's very clear. And in the name of um, standing up for truth or clarity of conversation or in the name of tough love, 
the different sides have just piled on all this weight onto people. So we have all this emotional baggage associated with it. So it's not just that here's God's standard and we fall short. It's here's God's standard, we fall short, and I'm worthless. And in the, the church community that identifies and follows the unconditional love of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the reason we, we can experience forgiveness of sins, grace, mercy, love, joy, peace, all, all of these beautiful things, it's been used as a weapon to leverage, to hurt other people, to make us, in the worst sense, feel better about ourselves because my sin isn't like that person's sin. Sin simply means missing the mark. We have missed God's standard. It is here, and we have fallen short. Now, this is, in fact, good news, because without understanding that we have sinned, there is really no need for gospel. Gospel is the solution to the sin problem in the world. Are, are you with me? This is crucial. But, but here, here's where we've gotten this wrong al- along the way. Um, we have classified, and, and no one really writes this out. This is just in how we behave. We have classified certain sins that we deem... Um, horrific, and others that are like, yeah, everybody does it. Now, here's what's interesting about that. All of them have missed the mark. They're all, they're, it's all sin. They all, none of those sins, we go big, small, medium, none of them hit the bullseye. We have all fallen sin because all of us are missing the bullseye. Some of my favorites that we like to say, ah, it's not that big of a deal. I joked about it earlier, but the gossip in the form of a prayer request we do this constantly. Did you hear about... So, ah, well, we got to pray for them. So let me... Well, it's not my story, my story to tell, but I'm going to tell it anyways. Lying. We don't want to hurt somebody. We don't want to make them feel better. Maybe white lies, a little tiny lies. Ah, it's not that big of a deal. It, it's, missing, it's missing the mark. Sex before marriage. You're like, ah, you know, it's 2021. I mean, we love each other, right? Like, we, you know, we're married in our hearts. We love one another. <laughs> We do this with pride. It's the first thing in the book of Proverbs that, of a list of seven that God hates. And we don't say that person's prideful. We say, ah, oh, they're ambitious. Driven. No, they're arrogant jerks and they're mean to people and they think they're far superior than the rest of humanity. That's pride. And God hates that because he says, no, your sin and your sin, you know what you both have in common? They may be different. You have missed the mark. Both of you. All of us. And we need to be very careful when and if we point out sin in someone else's life. We must make pretty darn sure we are aware of the sin in our life as well. This is foundational. So, now that I made everyone feel bad because we're all dirty, rotten sinners, what do we do with the sin? Keep reading. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us of our sins and purify us. From all unrighteousness. So it's not just that we're forgiven, we're now purified from all unrighteousness. Number two, a Christian confesses their sin. You gotta confess it. It's not enough to know that you do it, you must confess it. Now, I'm not gonna belabor the point because um, a lot of your time in small groups this week is gonna be on this idea of confessing sin. I simply wanna say this it is very good for the soul, but we are terrified to confess it to one another. We will confess our sin to God because it is just me and it is just God. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he, he knew a thing or two about Jesus. And he instructs the church in his letter. He says, you need to confess your sins to one another so that you'll be healed. See, the prayer of a, of a righteous person is powerful and effective. 
it is. How do you how do you know and how do you experience the grace of God and the forgiveness of your sins? What does that feel like? Yes, by doing it, God will speak to you and you will get those feelings. I have experienced that, and I have also experienced the beauty of coming for coming before a, a trusted brother or sister in Christ and saying, "I need to confess something to you." And in that moment, when I share. It's a very vulnerable and terrifying moment if you do not trust that person. Because what have I just done? I have just unloaded, um, I have given them a ton of ammo. And they can ruin me with it, or they can choose to respond like Jesus. And I've got to be honest, I've experienced both. And maybe, maybe you have too, which is why I think as a, as a church, as the American church, we're, we're not quick to do this. But when I do that and I can look somebody eyeball to eyeball and I can confess sin to them and they say, that's okay, I still love you, and so does God, that sin is forgiven and I won't judge you and hold you accountable to this, I'm going to forgive you because I've made mistakes. Those conversations are powerful. There's, you can feel the grace of God simply from God, but man, you can also feel it from his people. And, and those of you who have done this practice, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So we're going to talk about that concept in small groups this week. So that, that's pretty much all I want to say about it. So let's keep going. Verse 10. John says this. He says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him, this is Jesus, out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will, what is it? I'm going to write you a letter so that you will not sin. Case in point, those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are no longer slaves to sin. Sin is not our master. In fact, our Lord, our master is Jesus Christ. So he says, I'm going to write you this stuff because I don't want you to sin. We have a sin problem. I don't want you to. You're no longer, a, you're no longer mastered by sin. Jesus is your master. But he says this. He says, but. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. He is the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice, right? The compensating sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Number three, a Christian puts their trust in Jesus' work on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. A Christian puts their trust in Jesus' work on the cross for the forgiveness of of their sins. Jesus really is the Son of God, lived a, perp- a, perf- a perfect life. It was supposed to be, well, the wages of sin is death, so I'm supposed to die for my sins. And Jesus says, no, I love you too much. I will do that. That's, that's the gospel. That's love. And John's writing a church that says, we have to get this right. We all sin. We all need a Savior. And there is a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. Verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. This is where it gets real challenging. You ready? Here we go. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a... Come on, church. Here we go. Verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. He's a liar, and the truth is not in that 
person. Can we just pause for a second? Well, I'll unpack it, but can we pause for a second and just let that sink in? John is calling out the hypocrisy. He's saying, you know Jesus, you want to do things in the name of Jesus, but you're missing a key ingredient, and that is love. It's a very challenging and a convicting passage. Now, if you're like me, you're real quick to jump through and do some biblical gymnastics to talk about this and figure out a little bit of wiggle room. And we'll do it in a hot second, but I just simply want to say, man... Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. Meaning, what we say, we profess, and how we live our lives, those, those things, should, they should match. They need to. And if they don't, John would say, I think you're lying. See, we look at things and we go, oh, it walks like a duck, it talks like a duck, smells like a duck. It's probably a duck. The whole idea is that we would look, people would look at us and they go, well, it talks like Jesus, it acts like Jesus, it's probably a Christian. Problem is, that's not always the conclusions that people jump to, is it? And so what John is doing is he's putting on the heat, again, he's writing to this congregation that has split off from the church that has wandered far away. And he says, you know Jesus, but you're not, you don't look anything like him. I don't know that you know Jesus. And so we have to be We have to have ears to hear and to wrestle with this. This is the point, like I talked about, where the little kid has spoken to the emperor. You don't have any clothes on! Can can we have ears to hear? Can we be the emperor and simply pause for a moment and not carry on and just go throughout our day, but to pause and go, is there truth in that? Is there something I need to learn from this passage? Number four, a Christian learns the commands of Jesus and does them. Now, we have to talk about salvation here. John is not, he's not fooled. He knows these things. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This is not a works issue. John will say this and James will say this. They're simply saying, yes, this is what you're saved by. But if there's no change in your life, I wonder if you really have professed faith. Or did you just do like a nod to God and have an intellectual assent and go, yeah, I like this idea. John is saying, and James will say, listen, um, if you profess this, that Jesus is your Lord and Master, that you follow Jesus, he's going to say, your lives should reflect Jesus. He's not talking about perfection. He's talking about progress. Now, those of us, can you go back to the first time you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Say, let's do this. Say you put your faith in Jesus Christ when you were 30. You have 30 years of sin habit ingrained in you, don't you? It's going gonna, it's gonna to take a while for you to, like, change. That stuff's not just going to go away in one night. This is a process. This is, this is sanctification. I was going that way, but I'm being molded and formed into the likeness of Christ. Progress. And that's going to look different for each and every one of us because each and every one of us have a different story and a different journey. John's saying, if you believe... In Jesus, your life will reflect it. I want to read the verse because I don't want to get um, an email or anything like that. It's Ephesians 2, chapter 8 and 9. This is the most common one right here. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Saved by faith. Saved by grace through faith. John and James will also say, but there needs to be some congruency between the two. Should we keep going? It gets easier. 
I told you, it's tough. Verse 5. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Do you want to know how you're in Jesus? Do you want to know if you're a Christian? Do you want to know what it means to be a Christian? Do you want to know what separates the real ones from the fake ones? It's this right here, verse 6. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Number five, a Christian's belief and behavior become more and more congruent. The things that I say match up more and more with the life and the actions that I choose. That, That gap that I talked about every day is closing. I'm becoming more and more and more like Jesus Christ. So, we, we got to talk about it. we got to be honest. Um, we're probably going to sin. If I were a, a betting man, I would probably bet that sometime this month, a couple of us are going to miss the mark. Are you with me? What do we do? When that happens, I'm going to take all five points that we just did and create a quick little um, cycle, if you will. Here's our five points. Admit our sin. Confess it to Jesus. Live as forgiven people, right? This is everything to do with our, our, our posture, how, how we carry ourselves. Do we walk with people that have been filled with grace, that have been forgiven? Does, does our life, when we walk around and people look at us, they see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? Do, do, does the world see these things? Right? Jesus doesn't want to just save us. He wants us to live saved. Right? This is this whole concept right here. Number four, we need to learn to do what Jesus said to do. Because it's a big Bible. It takes a long time to get through it, to read all of those things. And then as we do these things, we will, number five, our faith and belief, those things, we're going to see those things come together. Now, if you look at Jesus, and as you read through 1 John, you're going to see two things. You're going to see that Jesus loved God. You're going to see it. He was obedient. He loved God. And the second thing you're going to see Jesus doing is he loved people. Specifically, the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the social outcasts, the unclean. People that the religious elite of the day wanted nothing to do with. And it has been my observation over the last basically two years that the church in America, the American church, we're Americans, we are part of this. The church in America has done a pretty good job of loving God, specifically in regards to our faith and our belief in what God has done and will do and can do in the future. I think we've done, well, I think we need to improve right here. We have dropped the ball to the point where I think John would look at us and go, some of us, we're professing these things, but, but where's, where's the unconditional love? Now, this is tough. But I think, I think we could all improve in that area. And I think to the point where I would say that I think as a, as a church we have missed the mark when it means when it comes to unconditional love of neighbor. I think I think we sent. I did the illustration with the two different sides shooting. There's been a lot of friendly fire in the last two years. Just read any comment thread on YouTube. Some of you know if you put, you can't post anything on social media without people jumping to conclusions and just. Boom, boom. 
it's hard to have conversations with people. We, we jump to conclusions rather quickly. When someone says something, we just, oh, you must be part of this camp, and we write them off. What would it look like for us to just be slow to speak, slow to become angry, very quick to listen, to try and understand, to give each other the benefit of the doubt? Listen, I'm sure in the course of, my, of this sermon, I'm sure I've said something incorrect, <laughs> or I wasn't gracious enough, I was too firm, I wasn't firm enough. I'm sure I've said something, but, but the grace that you were showing me, could we extend that outside the church walls? See, the fallacy is that we think we're walking around and we go, oh, we love people. We totally love people unconditionally. Just, just ask us. <laughs> we'll tell you. That's not the litmus test. The litmus test is the people that look nothing like the church and want nothing to do with Jesus. Do they feel loved by us? Or have we placed conditions? You have to vote a certain way. You have to talk a certain way. Your morality has to be a certain way. And the list goes on and on and on. And I think it would do us, the church in America, it would do us some good to come before God and confess the sin. To say that we have missed the, the, we've missed the mark of unconditional love of neighbor. We have said things out of anger, although anger is not a sin, but it's definitely not a fruit of the spirit. Let that sink in for a moment. We, we don't walk around loving Joyful. I'm painting with broad strokes, forgive me, but it feels like, man, the weight of the world is crushing even us. And, and what we do is we, we stand for the one who has the whole world in his hands. And we're walking around like, like it has everything to do with us, and it's all dependent upon us. And if those people, and if that group, and if she, and if he, if even those kids over there, if they would just be, then everything would be okay. And I go, no, 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 no. God loves them and has a plan for them that is far greater than mine. I want them to love Jesus. I want them to know Jesus. And the only way they're going to have an ear to hear from Jesus is if they're loved by me. Which means I have to get good at talking to people that, quite frankly, want nothing to do with who I am and the God I serve. They are different than me. And it's not, it's not necessarily my job to, you know, to point out truth. Well, it is my job to point out truth, but do it in a way that doesn't hurt them. I want to speak truth in love, not just stand up for truth. And so here's how we're going to end this morning. I, I, I'd like to invite all of us. We're going to walk through, not walk, we're going to pray through that circle, that cycle. We need to, in fact, admit that we do have sin. We need to confess that sin. We need to leave out of here not feeling convicted and hurt and all this. We need to live walking out of here knowing that God has forgiven us in that moment of this sin. We need to go back to our Bibles and we need to read our Bibles, specifically the Gospels, and see how Jesus interacted with people. And then we need to go and live like that. And I'm telling you, as we do that, as we fast forward, as the church in America does this, as we fast forward years down the road, we will look back at this and go, man, we were not perfect. But whoa, was there a movement of God. So I'd like, you to, I'd like to invite you to join me. Just bow your heads and close your eyes. This is a time for you and God. So, Father, I pray that you would search me, that you would know my heart, and you would reveal those things that I have hidden. You are light, and there are things that I have hidden in darkness deep inside. 
Father, in the most gracious and loving way, would you unearth those things that I have buried? Force me to see them, Father. Father, would this be so of our church? So, Father, would you seek us? Would you, would you know us? Would you reveal those things? We confess them to you. And, Father, those of us that have placed our faith in you, we know immediately that we are forgiven. We are purified, the text said, from all unrighteousness. So I pray, Lord, that when we leave, we would leave this place with our heads high, fully in love with you, knowing that we are fully loved by you. Would people see joy in our lives? We are not perfect and we have a long way to go, but you are perfect. And you will show us the way to go. So, Father, in this next song, in the next couple moments, would your Holy Spirit move inside of each and every one of our lives. And as a result of being here this morning, in your presence and in the presence of other believers and followers of Jesus, I pray that the work you do here, that that would expand throughout these walls. And people that have been hurt. Father, would they find healing? Father, and people that we have wronged, would we apologize? Would forgiveness take place? Would they see a glimpse of the relationship you want to have with them? Father, we give you the next handful of moments. Do with them what you will.